Welcome to 4D. Deep dive into degenerative diseases. Gaining insights through casual and amusing clinical conversations. Welcome to 4D, a podcast brought to you by the ANPT Degenerative Diseases Special Interest Group. I'm Parm Paget, a physical therapist, and I serve as secretary of the DDSIG. We're excited to bring you this special series of short podcasts, which highlight the winners of our 2020 Combined Section Meeting Awards. This year at CSM, our committee awarded two poster and two platform awards to standout presenters with topics relevant to degenerative diseases. We have put together a series of four podcasts interviewing the awardees and discussing their findings. I'm here with Paul Klein and Mark Maniago from the University of Colorado to discuss their best platform presentation at CSM 2020. Their presentation was titled Clinical Utility of the Single Calf Raise in People with Multiple Sclerosis. And I'm gonna let them introduce themselves briefly and then we'll get into their research and findings. So welcome. Thanks, Parm. Great to be here. So I'm Paul Klein. I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Colorado, Anschutz Medical Campus in Aurora, Colorado. And I'm Mark Vignago. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of uh, PM&R and in the Physical Therapy Program at the University of Colorado in the Anschutz Medical Campus. Great. Well, we're excited to have you here. Um, Paul, do you want to start us off with uh, what your talk was about? Certainly. So, Essentially, this study came to be when Mark and I were discussing different ways that you can assess patients with multiple sclerosis. And one of the ways that we, so my background is in, in biomechanics and an assessment of muscle function. So I have a lot of experience using electromechanical dynamometers and sort of lab-based um, assessments. But with patients with MS, most of the clinical tests, you know, most clinicians don't have access to a, a dynamometer of that sort. So we were talking about how, how you can assess muscle function and in particular plantar flexion function in this patient group. And we were talking about the single limb calf raise test. And then in our discussion, it came, we came to realize that the concurrent validity of the single limb calf raise test with an assessment of peak muscle strength wasn't very well documented, mm-hmm. nor was it well documented how the single limb calf raise test related to a variety of functional measures that are important for patients with MS. So that sort of spurred the research question for this this abstract, which was basically the first purpose was to establish the concurrent validity of the calf raise test and peak plantar flexion strength, and then secondarily to compare relationships of both measures to a variety of functional mobility measures. Mm -hmm. And so how did you do it? Sure. So, you know, to add to what Paul was saying in terms of the background, this is, so I, I do primarily, um, you know, my research is in people with MS and I've always had an interest in muscle function and, and strength training and particularly with things that are clinically feasible as Paul was alluding to. And so th- this test has kind of long been in sort of the back of my head of something I'd like to, to validate with more formal lab-based measures. So in terms of how we did this, this, this was part of a, a, a kind of a bigger study that we were doing that was more formally assessing gait mechanics. 
Um, so the specific methods related to this study were really just to have the participants with MS complete uh, this single raise calf protocol, which is really just as many calf raises, single limb, as you can do maintaining a specific cadence. That's like a 40 repetition per minute cadence, keeping the knee extended, using the hands only for balance on a wall. And it's as many repetitions as, as the individual can perform and there's no time limit. And so Mark, if I, uh, if I can just interrupt, um, yeah. how did you come up with that cadence of 40 per minute? That's a good question. So the, the test has been documented before. Um, it's been used in primarily, I, I believe the original citations were in like after an Achilles repair. Um, and then I think maybe the original study actually just looked at at, at just healthy subjects and just, just looked at validating that test. So, and then the final criteria for that that I forgot to mention is that then they also have to elevate the heel off the ground at least five centimeters. So all those criteria need to be met. They need to lift high enough mm -hmm. at a, a fast enough frequency. Um, and then as soon as they can't lift that high or their frequency slows down or their knee starts to bend, then the test is terminated or they just can't do anymore. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I really, when I found that test, I really sort of latched onto it clinically, but also started using it in, in some of our, in some of my other research studies because it is so hard to assess plantar flexion function in people with MS because you, mm -hmm. you do a manual muscle test and people are you can't break them and they can do one calf raise or two calf raises. So it gives you a nice, it gives a nice insight into, in, into how they're functioning. Mm -hmm. And then I'll let Paul talk about the other part of it, but yeah, go ahead if you have another question. And then the other piece was comparing it to using a dynamometer, right? Yeah. Correct. That's where, and how'd that's you do that? <laughs> yeah. So we used a, a HEMAC norm dynamometer which has a variety of, of joints that you can assess, but we, we used a supine plantar flexion setup where the patient's more or less in, in a, a full supine, somewhat of a long sit position, but we do flex the hip and the knee, primarily to limit their contribution from the hip extensors and the knee extensor muscle groups. Mm -hmm. Position the ankle in neutral, and then since most people in general, but especially most patients aren't accustomed to doing a full maximum contraction for these types of assessments, we do somewhat of a familiarization process where we take them through the setup and demonstrate what they're expected to do, have them do submaximal trials at 50 and 75% of their maximum effort before capturing three 100% uh, plantar flex as hard as you can for about a five second sustained contraction, three individual repetitions. And then we do that for both legs and then compare that to the values we get with the calf raise test that Mark was, was discussing. Okay. And then you said initially that there were some functional measures too that you looked at. So what were those? Yes. So there were three, there was the two minute walk test mm -hmm. where you know, they cover as much distance as they can mm -hmm. in a two-minute period. The time, 25-foot walk, to basically assess uh, their fast gait speed. Mm -hmm. And then the last one was a functional stair test where we have them go up and down a flight of uh, four steps as quickly but safely as possible. Okay. 
Um, why did you guys use a two minute walk versus like six minute? Yeah, that's a good question. Given that this was part of a, a subset of uh, other research questions we had, they were in the lab for approximately two to two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. So given the volume of other assessments we wanted to do and the prevalence of fatigue in this patient population, we tried to try to save their energy where we could. And um, we felt like the two minute walk test would, would give us some information about their walking ability without really taxing them to the point where it might influence other other assessments as well. Right. And it, I mean, it does to some extent make sense from that fatigue perspective, right? The longer that they walk for in that six minute walk test, fatigue sets in and that might be another factor that that confounds or gets in the way of you guys being able to relate this single calf raise to a more functional measure. So it does make sense. And also just you know, one of my pet peeves about the the thing with MS is like this 25 foot timed walk that's like yeah. used in all the research historically, you know, then everybody else is doing, you know, a 10 meter gate speed kind of test. And I don't know. Yeah, that, you know, the 25 foot walk is something we, we continue to do because it is sort of the, the standard of MS search. Yeah. And I don't know exactly where it came about, but yes, it was it was developed by a neurologist, I believe. And and a long time ago, I think. So it's been used. And a long time ago. And you know, it does have some limited interpretation, you know, when you when you try to compare it to 10 meter walk, because it it's it's like you start from you start right at the beginning of the test. You don't have a, a, a lead-in time. Right. You don't have a deceleration time. Right. So it doesn't translate exactly well, and it is just about five feet shorter than the 10-meter walk. Mm -hmm. um, and then oftentimes it's reported in seconds, which also right. can create confusion. Ultimately, it is, though, a test where a lot of neurologists do it. And right. so when you work in MS clinically, it's really nice you know, that's not that common for neurologists to do some sort of functional performance assessment. And yeah. so it, it ultimately becomes nice to be able to look at a note from a neurologist and see a 25 foot walk time and, and then be able to compare it with what you do. And then when you talk to them, I feel like it's meaningful. If you have like, yeah. I like to have that measure so that if I talk to the doctor, it's a number that they can relate to and they kind of understand what it means, you know? Yeah, yeah, but but yes, I agree. There are limitations, and mm -hmm. certain certain journals when you publish, they make you convert it to the seven point six two meter walk test. Yeah, and so you had mentioned, Paul, that that was fast. You guys did the gate speed at a so you yes. cued them for a fast gate speed or fast walking speed yes. for that twenty five foot distance. Exactly. Yeah, we asked them to cover that distance as, as quickly, but as safely as they can. Okay. All right. So what did you find? So our first analysis was basically the concurrent validity. So did their performance on the calf raise test, you know, did it match their performance on the peak strength on the, on the HEMAC? And to do that, we just did a Pearson correlation and found, interestingly, absolutely no relationship when we looked at the entire sample. So mm. You're, we, we essentially had this cluster of individuals who their peak strength values were not very high, but they were able to do 
many, I'm talking like 20 or more single leg calf raises. Okay. Did you, now, did you develop any theories as to why you think that happened? Well, yes and no. So I, I think part of the issue is that these two tests are essentially evaluating two different constructs. Mm -hmm. So peak strength is, is one thing and muscular endurance is a, is sort of a separate thing. And, and the same muscle group can have very different properties uh, in each of those, regardless of whether there's any neurological disease, musculoskeletal disease, any other sort of impairment there. So that's one thought in this group is that perhaps that particular portion of our sample just skewed more towards having more endurance, uh, you know, muscle fiber typing, things like that, than having a greater peak strength value. Mm -hmm. But it did prompt us to do some additional sub-analyses, which I think is where the real interesting piece from this study came in. So after we looked at the, the full sample, we then essentially eliminated those that performed really, really well on the single limb calf raise test. So if they performed 20 or more calf raises, we essentially didn't analyze that sample. And we only looked at the relationship between peak strength and calf raise performance if, they, if that limb performed less than 20 calf raises. And when we did that, we found a much, much, much stronger relationship to where the stronger these individuals were, the more calf raises they were able to perform. And there was some discussion within amongst ourselves as to whether or not to use 20 versus 25 versus any other number for the, the cutoff mm -hmm. for our calf raise test. But actually, the, it, it pretty much holds up under 25 or under 20. The relationships are almost identical. But essentially what it means is that in those individuals that have some level of an impaired calf raise test, we can assess their peak strength using that test uh, with some level of, of confidence. Mm -hmm. Cool. So if I just want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. So what you're saying is that for, for people that with a single calf raise test are sort of below the norm or demonstrating some weakness, it correlates to what their peak strength is in that muscle or that muscle exactly. group. Okay. All right. Great. And then what did you find with the functional measures? So when it comes to that, essentially the single leg calf raise test outperformed peak strength in all three of, of the functional measures. So performance on, you know, the more single leg calf raises you're able to do, the better you performed on all three tests and the ability of that test to correlate with our functional measures was better than the peak strength test. So I was really surprised to see that across all three. You would think that, you know, something like a stair climbing test or even a fast walk that isn't necessarily an endurance type of test might do better with peak strength, but there was, there was an insignificant relationship uh, or correlation with the time 25 foot walk in peak strength and same thing for the, the, the two minute walk. And then when it came to the, the functional stair test, both of them were significantly correlated, but the peak strength assessment had a poor relationship and didn't explain as much as the, the calf race test. So mm -hmm. not only is it feasible to do in the clinic and informative of that patient's peak strength in their plantar flexors, but it's also, it seems to have a really good relationship with, with other functional measures that we care about. Mm -hmm. So it would be interesting to then maybe target that in an intervention and see if that then correlates to a functional change, right? Like if we strengthen your plantar flexors, do you walk faster? Absolutely. Mark, you want to comment more on that? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So that 
is exactly one of the sort of questions that I've been interested in a lot. So other work that we've done has shown that actually this calf raise test in particular, so muscular endurance of, of the plantar flexors is one of the strongest predictors of both walking speed, like the 25 foot walk, and actually in that other study, we use a six minute walk, so of walking endurance. And that's measuring 11 different lower extremity and, and, and trunk muscles. So, and, and that's really consistent with lots of other sort of gait analysis and biomechanical work showing that that push-off phase of gait in people with MS is, and for healthy controls for that matter as well, is really one of the key drivers of walking. And so, so we have done just a small pilot study where we did include an ankle plantar flexion sort of strengthening slash endurance building intervention and did find some improvements in in the calf race test and also in in walking performance but the other piece of that 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 we're interested in is actually up the chain a little bit more and is like the proximal stability so the same study where we found that that ankle plantar flexor endurance was a big driver of walking performance we also found that the other big drivers seem to be proximal muscles and proximal stability so the intervention that we did it included ankle and sort of trunk and hip abduction so we can't really tease out the effects mm-hmm. but uh but that is something that uh we we'd hope to do and is that study that you're referring to is that something you're working on now or is it already published uh that study was published i believe last year it was a it was just a small sort of pilot feasibility study. So it wasn't randomized and it was published in the International Journal of Rehab Research yeah, in 2018. It was called the Feasibility of Targeted Strength Program to Improve Gait in People with MS. Great. So your study was definitely interesting. Our team there found it fascinating. Unfortunately, I left CSM early and missed your talk. So I'm, I'm so glad that we had this opportunity to chat and to hear about it. So were there any other collaborators that you would like to thank for this effort? Uh, yeah, that um, this study was uh, funded through an internal pilot grant from our university. So we definitely want to thank our department. And Corey Christensen was a big part in helping with this study. Um, and he's the director of the Interdisciplinary Movement Science Lab at, at CU Institutes. Uh, and then we definitely could not have done it without our research assistant, Emily Hager. And also uh, we got a ton of recruitment help from Nicola Hackson in the Department of Neurology. Great. Thanks. And, you know, I want to thank you guys for joining us this evening and congratulations on getting the best platform award from the DDSIG. Thank you. It's been fun chatting with you. Yeah, thank you. And especially thanks to Paul, who, who was the one presenting. And let's also give a congratulations to Paul, who accepted a faculty position recently. Great. Congratulations, Paul. So where are you going to be? I'll be at High Point University in High Point, North Carolina. So. Great. Great. Congrats. All right. Well, we'll look forward to more exciting stuff out of you when you're at High Point. I certainly hope so. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, guys. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of 4D, highlighting an awardee from CSM 2020. This podcast was produced by the ANPT Degenerative Diseases Special Interest Group. Subscribe to our newsletter on the ANPT website, neuropt.org, or check us out on Facebook. Please share this podcast with a friend or colleague. Thank you to our volunteers, Liz Yates Horton, Casey Houlihan, and
and Rose Gallagher. Special thanks to Jimmy McKay for providing music. This podcast was edited by Sarah Crandall with help from Farm Paget and Katie McGraw. Farm, we always do bloopers. Of course, we're gonna do bloopers. This is gonna. This is gonna be the blooper now. Farm, we always do bloopers. <laughs> Oh, wait, did you tell, wait, did you tell me all of them? I just got stuck on the two minute walk test in my brain and I couldn't get past it because we're probably going to cut some of this. Oh, wait. I'm like, can you guys tell? It's been a long day. It's been a long 10 days. Oh, it feels like Friday. Um, it's, it's Tuesday, right? Yeah, it's Tuesday. <laughs>